golf and rock and roll. Not logical, but it is fascinating. Playing down that big old fairway. Don't want no hackers to get in my way. The boys and me got a big NASA going. We were all to drive. It's the Golf Insiders, giving you the inside scoop on all things golf. Now, here are your Golf Insiders on FM 96.9 The Game. Hey, bring me another bucket of balls. We love it. Hello, Orlando. You're listening to the Golf Insiders, taking you home on the fairways of Ultimate I-4, soon to be Ultimate I-4, in the house, Holly G, along with... My very special guest caddy this evening, Mr. Jeff Babineau. Hey, Babs. Hey, Holly G. Wow, this is pretty special, getting yeah, you off the links and out of the <laughs> press room and into the studio. I don't get to caddy much. I might need a pull cart here and there. You can help me along. Oh, wow. So um, we are a week away from the U.S. Open. Hard to believe, my friend. Back at Shinnecock iconic Shinnecock on Long Island, and uh, you were saying that you covered your first one in 1995, which was was the first one I was at when Corey won. That's right. I was there in 1995. I'll never forget. You know, I was working at the Orlando Sentinel. Uh, I remember Corey Pavin was one of my local guys, so I caught up with him about half an hour, maybe on Tuesday. Uh, He ends up winning the tournament. He comes in the press room. He goes, you know, not one press guy all week even came up and talked to me. (laughs) <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? I wanted it? to raise my hand, but he was having a big moment. It was uh, it was a great, great tournament. Shinnecock's given us great finishes. You know, in 1986, those guys went down the back nine. A lot of Hall of Famers, Raymond Floyd won, and then you had Corey, then you had Retief Goosen in 04. So great place and great finishes. Yeah, and you were saying something about there was such a plethora of tour players from the Orlando area yeah. that um, – you know, they just sort of snuck their card in saying, hey, just bring it back to Orlando. Yeah, they used to get replicas made of the U.S. Open trophy, and they all were living in Orlando. It seemed back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. You had Ernie Els, uh, Lee Jansen was winning U.S. Opens, Corey won one, Payne Stewart was in there, and they just tucked this guy's business card up into the bottom of the trophy. The engraver? The engraver to get their little uh, replica done. And, and it's funny, uh, Lee Jansen, I think, in 99 – didn't bring the traveling case to uh, to Pinehurst because so many Orlando guys have been winning. And sh- sure enough, he just handed it off to Payne Stewart and got him the case when they got back to Isleworth. Got to love that story. Um, something I remember from that uh, open was uh, at the time I was representing Zero Restriction Outerwear. And they were just kind of a new apparel company coming out of uh, the block's and there was a famous photo <laughs> with with Payne cutting the sleeves right, no off his sleeves. jacket yeah. to make a to make a vest on the wow. on the final day. So we a had marketing a, dream. Oh, right? it sure was. It was uh, was one of our uh, one of our all time hits. Thanks to thanks to Payne. So uh, Bryson DeChambeau winning the Memorial with a birdie on the second extra hole. Uh, I think he go, gets the all world. Um, you know, record for fist pumps. Was it seven? I mean, talk yeah. about an intense guy. Oh, uh, what a big win for him. It was a big win for him. He's a uh, he's an interesting guy. He reminds me a lot of Phil Mickelson. 
You know, he knows a lot about a lot of things. He's very, I, I think, Bryson's a little smarter than Phil. but uh, The scientist. He's the scientist. And, and so he takes a different approach to things. You know, the single-length irons. And uh, when we were talking to him when he won his U.S. Amateur, he used to float his golf balls in Epsom salts. I mean, all these kids are at a cookout in the middle of the U.S. Amateur. He's back floating golf balls to see if any are out of the round, you know. Uh, so he's different, but he uh, he's passionate about it, and I think he's going to be a really good player. He uh, had an interesting talk with him last year down at the Hero in, in the Bahamas late last year, and he kind of had a – he won last year but didn't have a very good season, and he missed so many cuts, and he knew he kind of had to get to work. So, I mean, you're starting to see the fruits of that labor. Absolutely, and we know just like Arnold's, Arnold's tournament – uh, here in Orlando, that uh, winning the Memorial is one of those special ones for the players to get that handshake from the Golden Bear coming off the 18th green. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, Arnold's tournament, that one, back in the day, I'd have Byron. Uh, so that meant a lot to, to Bryson, I know, and uh, he's he's on his way. You know, this kid, he, you know, he won the NCAAs and the U.S. Amateur same year, so it's only a special few have done that, so keep Tiger, an eye for him. right? Tiger, I mean, Justin Leonard, Phil, it's a short list. Uh, and um, I think Ryan Moore. Um, so it's, you know, those guys turn out to be special players. Uh, Aria Jutanyagarn wins the U.S. Women's Open on the fourth playoff hole. Probably for those who were watching the first nine, they thought, you know, she had it literally in the bag with a seven-shot lead. And, oh, my, uh, almost was the... Uh, the biggest collapse in in the history of the U.S. Women's Open. Yikes! But she uh, she she turned it around and uh, won in a again a four hole playoff. Sort of interesting. They did a two hole aggregate on fourteen right. and eighteen, and then went to sudden death on fourteen right. and eighteen. Two hole. That's going to be the new system at Shinnecock. I mean, we used to have the Monday playoff. Uh, I I thought any kind of a change that got it done on Sunday was great. It was so flat. I mean, I've, I've gone in 2001 when Retief Goosen and Mark Brooks was in there or even covering a women's open at Newport with Annika. I think Annika made birdie on the first hole and Pat Hurst made bogey and you felt it was over and you were going to walk 17 more holes. So anything to kind of get the, you know, Sunday's your exciting day. You want to crown a winner on Sunday. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, the, they've got the momentum and I feel that you're really, you're truly crowning the, you know, the person that had, you know, the best, the best sticks that day, you know? Um, So I, I, I think it's a a good move. Um, Daniel Berger looking at the possibility of a rare three-peat at the (laughs) FedEx St. Jude coming up this week and weekend. Right. Horses Um, for courses, right? The first two, first two tournaments, tour events, both the FedEx St. Jude. His first two wins are at FedEx. You got to go back to the '30s. Leonard Gallet. Leonard Gallet. That's a name you've never heard before. I've never saw that before today myself. And he won in '29, '33, and '34. The Wisconsin PGA was his first three PGA titles. They didn't have a tour at the time, I guess, right? And, right. And uh, same event. So you have to go back. Oh, you know, almost ninety years plus, or. In that neighborhood, and uh, it'd be something. I mean, he definitely something he likes about FedEx St. Jude for sure. Absolutely. Well, they've got a pretty good field, and you know, uh, a wonderful. Uh, this is you know a, a real hometown event at Memphis. You know, benefiting St. Jude's Hospital. Lots of community involvement, mm-hmm. which is you know the core of a lot of these tournaments around the country. And I, 
I think it's been uh, nonstop since what, like the 50s? Yeah, I think 58. Yeah. yeah a lot of magic moments in Memphis. I mean, before they went to TPC uh, Southwind, you had uh, Al Guyberger shooting the tours first, 59. Right. At Old Colonial. Um and like you said, that connection to the St. Jude Hospital, it gives me chills. Absolutely. There's always stories that come out of there and inspiration. I think these. Danny you know, Thomas back in the day. Oh, being man, yeah, the, yeah. You know. So the, these players kind of get the bigger the, the bigger good, I think, when they're out there and they know that these tournaments are generating all these millions of dollars for such a great cause. Speaking of special tournaments and great causes, I know you're involved, very involved with the Folds of Honor and uh, just recently played Played in the Patriot Cup out in Oklahoma. Tell me about that. Yeah, it was fun. I think it was our ninth Patriot Cup. Um, you know, the Folds of Honor has raised raised twenty plus million dollars last year, and and the numbers just keep going up for uh, spouses and children of either fallen soldiers or wounded soldiers. Uh, educational scholarships, you know, educating the legacy of these people who, who gave up their freedom so that we can have freedom. So. Uh, just it means a lot. It's really important. I played with Robert Streb. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Best and hair in golf. <laughs> a lot of hair, and he hits it so good to play with a tour pro and see how good they hit it. And I go in his numbers. He's missed like he's made six cuts in nineteen starts, and it just tells you the depth how out there. Good. You know, it's just a reminder. Those guys are oh, right. Unreal. Absolutely. Well, we've got a lot of golf to talk about coming up tonight with my special guest host. Jeff Babineau in the house. Stay with us. You're listening to Golf Insiders. We'll be right back. We're back. The Golf Insiders in the house. Holly G and my guest, Caddy, Jeff Babineau, formerly with Golf Week, formerly the president of the Golf Writers Association of America, He's a big dog, one of the best in our business. And uh, I've got him off the links and here in the studio. How's your shoulder? My shoulder's better, I think. I'm, uh, a little I frozen go, shoulder. Go knock it around a little bit. That is no fun. Days. No, it's no fun. Left shoulder. I know. I've had a lot of time to play some golf, and I haven't played any golf. So no, I thought you'd, we'll you get know, out there. you'd, be, you'd be ready to, uh, you know, maybe get ready for the senior tour. <laughs> ha! Uh, so we've got... The FedEx St. Jude Classic, and we're going to go straight to the press room and Bob Herrick from ESPN.com. Hey, Bob. Hey, how are you guys doing? Doing well. Have uh, one of your favorite uh, sidekicks here, Jeff Babineau, in the house tonight. Absolutely. Hey, Babs. How hey, are Bob. You? What's going on? Not too much. So um, your thoughts, comments from the memorial. Uh, boy, course looked absolutely fantastic. Um, and Bryson DeChambeau, pretty, uh, pretty stoked about his win. Yeah, and for good reason. I mean, it's a heck of a win, uh, you know, uh, to beat that field and, and to sort of overcome not, not the greatest final round uh, to get himself into a playoff and then emerge. Um, you know, he, he knew how big of a deal that was, uh, uh, you know, to win Jack's tournament and, um, it, it was kind of funny um, watching Jack listen to him talk about all the all the techno babble that Bryson <laughs> talks about in, in his game. 
um, which is obviously, you know, um, really interesting stuff. Uh, was this in the uh, in a press conference, Bob? Or? It, it sure was. And, you know, Jack handled it beautifully. And, <laughs> of course. You know, just, talk, just talked about how much that has changed over the years, you know. And actually, Jack made the great point, pointed out he was one of the first to use a yardage book. I mean, so think about, you know, what, what guys have at their disposal today and, and around his time and, and before, just all played by feel. And, uh, you know, obviously Bryson has taken uh, that to a, to a whole other level. When you listen to Bryson, Bob, does it, it bring you back to like a young Phil Mickelson a little bit? He, he, he certainly is very, um, uh, you know, confident in his approach. I mean, uh, you know, there's no, there, there's no holding back. And uh, he, he also, uh, you know, I, I think he really, really believes so strongly in this, in this system that, he, that he's utilizing, which, of course, is the same sh- uh, shaft length on all of his clubs. Uh, you know, he, he feels he's on to something that's, you know, revolutionary and, and that other people are going to want to want to take part in as time goes on. Um, uh, I'm not sure everybody else has the, the same mental capacity to 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 really think it through and, and realize what's all involved in that. Um, but uh, he sure has bought into it, and uh, you know, obviously, it's clearly working for him. What is the idea that he makes? You know, the the same identical swing, Bob. How is it that he gets the different yardages out of each of the clubs? Yeah, I mean, I I think that's the basic premise is that you don't have to alter your posture is the main thing. It's the same posture and the same swing with every club, whether it's a four iron or nine iron. And, of course, the loft is different um, uh, on on the clubs. But but there's also got to be a lot of tweaking involved with that shaft, with the weights um, and getting all that right. You, You can't have the same... Um, weight in a nine iron that you would in a four iron if it's the same length. Um, so I think there's a lot of science that goes into that. But if you if you watch him swing, I mean, it's you know Babs could speak to this just as well, probably better. But it's kind of robotic. You know, he's yeah. got this this motion that is um, it's it's just very you know kind of like point to point, and he does it with every club. And and you know you, you see it in a short game too. Um, where where that that kind of motion is the same, and um, you know, I, I'm guessing it's just like any golf swing, though it, it doesn't always repeat. Uh, even though I think that's the goal of this to try to get it to repeat more, and, uh, and that's when he struggles. But um, you know, in addition to the win, you know, he's had a lot of high finishes here over the last couple of months, a bunch of top fives. You know, he's been in the mix a bunch, and confidence is, is growing and. And, uh, you know, he's right there in the mix to, to be on the U.S. Ryder Cup team, too. We're talking to Bob Herrick from ESPN.com. Babs? Yeah, I was going to ask you, I know you watched Tiger a lot last week at Memorial. I mean, I, it's kind of funny that we would be critiquing his game at all when last September we didn't even know if he'd be playing. But it's kind of funny. You know, he ties for the lead. He finishes outside the top 20. He's very close, but it's just not quite there. So what's what's the missing element? Yeah, I think that's a good point that you just made. It's like, I still think there needs to be some perspective here. Right. You know, um, you know, it's, it's nine tournaments into his comeback. It's, 
It's uh, 34 rounds of golf. After playing, you know, before 2018, he had played a total of four tournaments in two years, and 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 two of those tournaments were were a total of three rounds. You know, he he had only he had only played what 11 rounds in competition in two years, and eight of those were the were the Bahamas tournament. Right, right. You know, so I mean, it's kind of like man, it's it's amazing how our expectations and his you know, ratcheted up very quickly. Um, but the bottom line still is, I think there's this, this, uh, this competitive aspect that he's still got to get through. You know, he's, he's gotten himself there a couple of times, even not even, even like at the players championship, he really wasn't in contention on Saturday and he was shooting that great score, but he couldn't quite finish it off. Right. You know, same thing on Sunday, you know, so even like finishing really good rounds, the pressure of finishing a really good round, he struggled with a little bit. And then the same thing happened here, both Saturday and Sunday, both tournaments. He's put himself kind of in a hole the first two days. It's only he fights back beautifully, but can't finish it off. And of course, the Memorial, it was really the putting hits the ball beautifully. I mean, you know, sure. He, he hit, he hit two balls out of bounds and he had a water ball and he still led field and, you know, strokes gained tee to green and proximity to the hole. I mean, that's, Crazy. That's pretty impressive yeah. ball striking, and obviously the putting was off the charts bad. I mean, like, not you know just average or just you know kind of lousy. It was bad. He was like second worst in the field among the guys who made the cut. And um, I, I don't know what to make of that, Frank, because those are great greens that he loves putting on. And um, you know, although I will say this, I, I think most would agree. Um, if you're going to have an issue in your game, you'd probably much rather have it be putting than the long game. Um, you know, uh, unless, unless of course, you're a chronically bad putter. But I think in his case, he would much rather be searching for to figure out something on the greens than he would be, you know, if he's hitting it horribly. And, and he's not. He's hitting it beautifully, uh, giving himself uh, plenty of chances, and, and now it'll be interesting to see if he can get over the hump and make some of those when it, when it really matters. He did mention, too, I believe it was at uh, the Arnold Palmer tournament in the, in, uh, the press conference that, uh, you know, it was sort of a, a misconception that he was able to do a lot of putting and shipping, um, you know, as he was rehabbing. But, you know, the reality said was that, you know, he, he wasn't able to really do a lot of that because of, you know, because of the back surgery. Exactly. In fact. Um, what he says is the most painful position to be in is the putting and chipping position, you know, or was because you have to bend over farther. Yeah. And, um, uh, and, and so there's a couple of things there. You wonder, did he maybe get slightly off in his, in his posture, um, his technique, you know, for putting, has that, has that been, a, has that been, I, I thought very nicely at the players. So, you know, I'm not sure if that's, um, if that's an issue or not, uh, but but you you, you wonder um, uh, if if possibly uh, he was he was just a little off there. The other thing is is you know this has come up too over the years. How much time is he really practicing on that part of the game? Um, and in Memorial they have bent grass greens. Other than the Masters, he wouldn't have putted on those kind of greens. At home, that's not what he puts on. He went to Shinnecock for two days. Those aren't the same kind of greens there. And he was 
it was oh the 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 green it was wet they weren't fast so then he goes to the memorial and what does he have he has he has uh, a nine hole uh, you know uh, I guess actually no he did not he did not play nine holes on Tuesday he got there Tuesday night so his only practice was the Wednesday pro am which was with uh, <laughs> with Peyton Manning right so how, how hard is he dodging how hard shots is he concentrating you know like yeah. and, and how hard is he working you know yeah he goes to the putting green. Um, but, you know, that's the sort of thing you sit there and you go, you know, maybe that required a lot more, a lot more work on his part. Um, again, we like Babs said, we're like nitpicking this to death, right? Yeah. And the, 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 what, what do other guys do? You know, do, um, do, did they show up there and put in that kind of work? Well, maybe not, but they've also been playing a lot too. So Rounds, um, rounds, I, rounds, right, Bob? That's what reps, we always talk reps. about. Absolutely. Well, uh, we're, you know, a week away from Shinnecock. Um, it's going to be interesting. Of course, all eyes are going to be on Phil and the possibility of the career Grand Slam. What uh, What do you think we have to uh, keep our eyes on? Yeah, I mean, it, it's obviously he's running out of time, um, and uh, he he had a nice a nice finish at the Memorial. But I mean, the thing we're seeing with Phil is he he doesn't put four rounds together really. You know, obviously he won in Mexico earlier, and he's played some really good golf this year. Um, I kind of wonder about playing two weeks in a row going into the U.S. Open. I wonder if that's a good idea. Um, you know, then he went back to Shinnecock for a couple of days this week before going to Memphis, and he really likes the course in Memphis, and he's done well there. Um, but, man, it's a lot of golf, you know. So um, it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure it would be great to have him in the mix. Um, you know, I don't think we're going to have, you know, a U.S. Open where you have to shoot super low. So I think that helps. Um, but you can't make the mistakes that he makes. He's, he's kind of killed himself here with, you know, the first, the first round uh, in Memorial. I think he was four under uh, on, the, on his first nine holes, and he doubles the ninth hole. He seems to do that kind of thing a lot. You know, where he just lets a good round get away with that, with that double bogey that's just a backbreaker. And uh, obviously, double bogeys lurk at a U.S. Open. Yes, they um, do. You really hope you can avoid them. And we know uh, those fans are going to be uh, uh, going crazy over uh, uh, Phil. Over Phil. We'll see you next yeah. week. Um, actually, in a few days, Bob. Look forward to it. Okay, Thanks so much. Bob Herrick from ESPN.com. You're listening to the Golf Insiders. Stay with us. More golf talk coming up. That's just the way it is. Don't play at Pebble, won't pay the price. I love my Muni, I think it's nice. Swing We're back, the, the Golf house, Insiders. In the house, Holly G, along with my very special guest, Caddy. The one, the only, former Orlando Sentinel, Sentinel golf writer, Jeff Babineau, in the house. So great to have you here, Babs. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm on the other end of a phone line, so it's nice to uh, visit. I know. Good to have you here, and um, I'm so excited. Shinnecock, going back to all my homies in New York. It's going to be a fun week. Yeah, that, hanging out on the island. Yeah, that's cool. That that part of it's really cool. You know, you're not uh, being out at the Hamptons with all the glitzy folks, but it just that feels like a USGA, you know, slash US Open venue. Uh, we've had a couple of the last few years, new new stuff, Chambers Bay and Aaron Hills, but that's an I'm old a traditionalist, staple. Yeah, Babs. 
you know, like grew up too. on a Donald Ross, yeah, Oak Hill Country excited. Club. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm for, I'm old school. What can I say? So I'm, I'm really looking forward yeah, for this no one. Doubt. And a guy who has covered plenty of U.S. Opens, and uh, so special to have him on. Babs, it must be because I dangled the carrot that you were going to be in the house. Synchronicity. He's, you know, one of the toughest guys, hardest working guys out on the tour. The chief golf writer from the Associated Press joins the Golf Insiders, Doug Ferguson. Hello, Doug. Hello. I was waiting for some, like, soundtrack of applause or something. Nothing? <laughs> we're standing up. Counts for well, nothing? Uh, uh, Holly, let's go back to Babs being your caddy. What was that all about? Ah, uh, well, you know... Um, you know, I I have a couple markers. You know, I've known the guy for a long time. <laughs> Harry's about twenty two clubs. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I I would not make it in a in a tournament right now. My game is such a mess. But um, you, uh, Fergie, you were just at the U.S. Open qualifier Monday in Columbus, and Adam Scott makes the cut on the number. Tell us uh, yeah. what was going on there. Well, it was. Uh, we were surprised to see him. I mean, I, I don't think Adam knew he was going to show up until until Monday morning. But uh, his options were to go to go to Memphis and play well enough to crack the top sixty. But if you figure if he did that, and then go to the U.S. Open that seven weeks in a row, so he thought he'd give himself thirty six holes at uh, Brookside in the Lakes and see what happens. And he oddly enough, the Brookside's a little bit of a, uh, the tougher courses. And Adam shoots sixty six and then goes over to the Lakes and hangs on by the seat of his pants. So got a 30-foot two-putt at the end to, to get it done, and then uh, it was good. 67 in a row he's played. This will be a 68th straight major. And you know, I kind of appreciate where he's coming from, though. It's a big deal when you haven't missed a major since since 2001 at Southern Hills. Um, but Adam's point is, look, I'm not trying to get into these majors. I'm actually trying to win them. So, you know, I, I think it'd be kind of fun to watch up there next week. He's, he's hitting the ball well enough. You know, going back to the broomstick and and just kind of keeping it away from his his chest uh, is helping a little bit. So, who knows? Funny things like this happen all the time when a guy gets on on a whim at the last minute and he's good enough, and then and then we'll see. That's great. I mean, you love the qualifier. You love all the stories you get out of U.S. Open sectionals. Uh, Adam certainly got a lot of attention up there. There's a lot of tour pro presence at the one you were at. What was the best story of the day? Personally, for me, it was uh, it was Mike, guys like Michael Putnam. Uh, for for whatever reason, I was, I was talking to Curtis Strange uh, a couple of weeks ago. He's he's like my supplier of, of ideas all of a sudden, <laughs> and he he had never heard the story about Olin Brown, mm-hmm. and and so I shared it with him when when Olin, you know, shot seventy three at Woodmont. Uh, he's left for dead. He's thinking of withdrawing, and he gets to thinking, how can I how can I quit and then tell my kids you can't quit at stuff set an example so he goes to play nine more and he winds up shooting 59 you know mm-hmm. two weeks later he's in the second to last group at the u.s open three shots off the lead uh, shoots 80 but that's not the point let's let's right. gloss over that part uh it was it was a you know a year changer for olin and so now we get to brookside and it was fascinating to me to see two guys shoot 73 vj singh and michael putnam and vj heads to the parking lot puts the clubs in the back and off he goes Michael's thinking about withdrawing, and he says, no, I'll go give it nine more holes. He makes five birdies. He shoots 64, which was the low round uh, on both courses for the day, and he gets in. So it's, it's just the funny part of this game where you never know when your fortunes are going to turn. There's never a notice, and you may as well keep playing and, and see if it happens. 
Yeah, that's, uh, you got to love those stories. I mean, you get them all over the place. And, and one and, more side note to that, just if I could add it, what I, what I didn't realize is Russell Knox's coach, who's also his caddy right now, uh, Ramon Bescanta, he used to play. And he was actually playing with Olin the day he shot 59. So now he's out there caddying for Russell. And, and Russell is, is uh, grasping at straws. He's three over for the day. He's three outside the number. And then he goes birdie, 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 par, birdie, and he gets in. Stuff happens all the time. I love it. Yeah, and I think sometimes, you know, players get in and they're sort of, you know, they feel more like they're freewheeling it, you know, when they, when they actually get to the tournament. Interestingly, Keegan Bradley and Orlando's Brian Gay tied for third place. I was talking to Babs before we came on the air, Doug, and – you know, I've been kind of keeping my eye on Keegan. He's another one of these that's have had to be adjusting to the uh, you know change in the anchor putting rule. Uh, yeah. You know, same as Adam Scott. You know, it's a couple of great players, major winners that have had to work through this. Uh, Keegan's been pretty consistent. Top, you know, bunch of top fifteens, I think, in the last you know month or so. And you see, yeah. um, you know, Webb Simpson breakthrough. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of maybe these guys are finally you know getting through that whole. Putting. Yeah, and on a side note, Holly, I think another cool thing from uh, from Monday, uh, I was unaware of this, but Keegan says he still has a photo of him and Webb at the, give me a second here, I think it was the 2011 U.S. Open qualifier, and they're both standing on the green with their, you know, with their, with their belly putters, mm. and he keeps that photo. Uh, Webb went on and, and, and qualified for the Open. Keegan did not, but Keegan wins the uh, PGA Championship two months later. And then next summer, Webb wins the U.S. Open. Uh, Keegan was, was telling us that, that he never sends texts to players when they win, but he sent one to Webb after one of the players. He said they've just got a special bond uh, over that whole anchoring deal. And, he's, you know, he says Webb's the greatest guy in the world, which is true. And, um, you know, it meant something to him. And I, I think kind of, you know, I mentioned Adam, but Keegan really is in the same spot, and you raise a good point. I, you know, I'd have to pull his record up right now, and frankly, I'm not going to. But you're right. He's had a bunch of... 15th and 18th and, and 25th. Oh, he's, he's on the rise for sure. Yeah. For sure, yeah. And he's it's just at that point where it's just a matter of not so much putting four rounds together, but turning that 174 into a 70, and he's right there. So, I mean, it, this guy to me is, is comfortable now with what he's got going, and it really is just a matter of time. And, and the, you know, that sense of pride comes up. I mean, Keegan said there is nothing worse than, than watching majors at home on TV. He said it's heart-wrenching. And uh, it's a big deal for him to be in the field. And, I, you know, you, you just you can't rule guys like that out. You know, I was looking at the uh, top ten from the 4 Open at Shinnecock, and you had a lot of guys in there that weren't necessarily bombers. You know, you had Jeff Maggart had a big yeah. Sunday to climb in there. Mike Weir was in there. Fred Funk was in there. Stephen Ames, Chris DeMarco. So not your, not your necessarily your bombers. Um, you went up and took a sneak peek at the golf course. They've added 500 yards. What kind of effect is that going to have uh, when we only saw two guys under par the last time we were at Shinnecock? Yeah, I think I think a lot of it, Babs, is what they do with the with the tees, which they'll mix around every day. I'm not buying into what Tiger said that it's you know it's a 74-45, and it's a par 70. It's still got two par fives. Uh, that part hasn't changed. Distance to me is is not that big of a deal. It just it gives you room to play, and yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean. Guys with distance are always going to have an advantage. It's been that way since the game started. Um, but, but there's always room for people. And it was, you know, look, 69-96 back in 2004, 
uh, as a par 70. That was about, you know, par for the course back then, pardon the pun. Uh, and I'm not so sure that 7,400 yards now isn't about normal for what these guys do. So if, if, if a shortish guy, uh, Funk played with Nicholson that day, actually. Mm-hmm. If, if those guys can have a chance then, I, I don't see why they couldn't have a chance now. Do you think it's, you know, they've had a ton of rain up there, uh, very late golf season uh, getting started. Of course, it's a Lynx design, but do you think that's going to, you know, is it going to play softer, do you think? You know, we remember in the past the tournaments, you know, just those greens baking out on Sunday, uh, and, 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 you know, they can get pretty brutal. Yeah, I mean, it's all, I mean, it's, this is, one to me, one of the more um, weather-reliant open courses we see. Uh, from a wind standpoint, and frankly, from a soft standpoint, there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, if it rains uh, and it's soft and it's green, then it's Olympia Fields all over again, at least for for three rounds, which is what we had in Chicago in '03. Uh, but I think the, the, it's exposed enough; they've eliminated enough trees to even uh, allow for more uh, wind to play a role. Um, it's gonna it, it'll dry it out enough, and and uh, you know they've got enough technology. I'm not talking about drivers and golf balls; I'm talking about lawnmowers. Uh, to take care of this stuff. Well, it's going to be an exciting week. We know there's nothing like the crowds uh, up in New York, outside of New York City. And uh, between Tiger and Phil, uh, it's going to be one crazy open. It's a question of whether Phil's going to disappoint him again, though, Holly. I know. We'll get the crying towels out ahead of time. We'll see. (laughs) All right. Doug Ferguson from the Associated Press, one of the best in our biz. Thanks so much for spending some time with us, my friend, and we'll see you next week. See you, Doug. This is the Golf Insiders. We'll be right back. Well, I don't want to take all the credit for their talent, but uh, first I had to teach them to play golf. Then I had to teach them to sing. And then I taught them to play various instruments, none of which they do very well. I want my dream. Yeah, yeah, really not so We're back. The Golf Insiders, wrapping up an hour of intelligent golf talk, especially because of my guest caddy tonight, Jeff Babineau. You may remember Bab's. Back in the day at the Orlando Sentinel, and then for years, Way back in the day. years at Golf Week, very own Golf Week based here in Orlando. Yep. And uh, now, you know, he's enjoying the umbrella drink life. <laughs> we'll see. Next chapter. A little Holly. sabbatical. Just Next, a little, little sabbatical. sabbatical. And you deserve it. What the heck? It's going to be a Hogan-like comeback. Oh, my goodness. And so, uh, so fun to have you in tonight. So, uh <laughs> We're going to go to another one of our favorite golf insiders who spent a long, long week up at Shoal Creek and in a bunch of nasty weather, uh, but he stayed nice and dry in the Fox studio, giving a few reports uh, on, on air. Steve Eubanks from Global Golf Post joining us to recap the U.S. Women's Open. Hey, Steve. How are you, Holly? And just so you know, I'm not old enough to remember when Babs was at the Orlando Sun. <laughs> <laughs> I know. He doesn't look we'll a chat. day over 20. I don't know how that's possible, but <laughs> modern science. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so yeah, uh, ha- tell us about, tell about this, this Sunday, the, the split uh, personality of Aria on the front nine and the back nine. Uh, I think a lot of golfers at home could relate. Yo, boy, couldn't they? I mean, this is one of those things where you're cruising along, you got a seven-shot lead, you're just thinking there's absolutely no way anything could possibly go wrong. You hit one bad shot, which she did off the 10th tee, and it was really bad. It was about a 45 Wide right. 
directly off wide right uh and suddenly it just it just goes away from you i mean you just you she gets over there she takes a drop she makes a bad decision she walks off with a seven and that and that seven shot lead is uh is suddenly you know in jeopardy and on its way down because you've got a couple of holes coming up with hazards in front and uh, a really difficult par four and you know a couple of uh of no give up par threes out there and then you you hear the, the cheers coming from Yoju Kim just ahead of her, who's making bomb after bomb, you know, fifty footer, forty footer, twenty footer, uh, and and suddenly it starts to get away from you. I think every golfer in America could relate to what Ariel was going through out there. Absolutely, and she's got this new routine, right? That she smiles <laughs> before she hits a shot. That something you know, a mental uh, little thing she's doing. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's something that she has worked with uh, w- with the Division 54 uh, people, Pia, uh, Lynn Marriott and Pia Nelson. And what they tried to get her to do is get into your play box feeling comfortable. Do something, whatever it is in your routine, that gets you in the right mindset that I'm going to hit this shot perfectly. Whatever that is, do that. And and for Aria, it's it's forcing that smile to, to get her in a relaxed, uh, positive mindset before she gets in and hits the shot. So she, she's been doing that now for just over a year. Uh, and at times you can tell it's forced. But, uh, but it is something that helps her. You know, Steve, fo- following that tournament from afar, yeah, I was like Holly. I flipped that on on Sunday afternoon when it was 16 under and 9 under. And you're like, why, why am I going to watch this? Uh, this is going to be a walk in the park. But for all the weather troubles of the week, uh, and, and the forecast you guys had. I mean, you look at that tournament, how the U.S. Open is always under the spotlight. It seemed to be like a, pre- a pretty successful tournament, was it not? It was an incredibly successful tournament, and I really have to give a shout-out to the USGA agronomists and the staff at Shoal Creek, who, I mean, they were miracle workers. What they were able to do, given the amount of rainfall we had, I mean, it was a tropical storm, right. and you just don't have those in Birmingham. Uh, and they don't call it Shoal Creek for nothing. I mean, right. it's in a valley. There's a creek that runs through it. So, uh, you know, that it, the water's draining off of these two mountains that are on either side. It was it was basically a swamp for, for three days. There was no way we thought we were going to play golf. Uh, the staff spent 24 hours out there hauling mulch and pumping water. I mean, they, they, brought, <laughs> they brought drums and trucks out there and <clears throat> pumps and were pumping water into trucks and hauling it away. It was extraordinary what they did to, to get the thing playable. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what do you think about this? We were commenting earlier about the new playoff system with the two-hole aggregate and then the uh, sudden death, which is also going to be true for the men's open. You like it? You know, I liked it. I, I liked it a lot. I mean, you, you, for one thing, you know it's going to finish on Sunday afternoon, uh, which is always a plus. I mean, uh, Babs, I think you may have been may have been with us in in Oklahoma when Retief ends up three putting the oh, yeah. uh, the final home to go into the playoff with Mark Brooks, and and I'm sitting behind the 18th green, and I mean it, it was unprintable what most people were saying <laughs> even in the gallery, right? Because nobody wanted to come back on Monday morning for that. I think though, um, I tell people those were some of the flattest days I've ever covered. You're at a major. And it's Monday, and you don't have the crowd. And the momentum's and just, done. If one guy's hot and the other isn't, or one girl's hot, I mean, it's just a flat day. Yeah, yeah. And there's no, you know, the television. Nobody's watching. They're all at work, and and it's you know, it's it's just kind of over. So to have the thing end on Sunday in a playoff is is, in my estimation, 
know, the best possible outcome. And I think this two-hole aggregate's good. Well, speaking of getting tournaments done, how about the announcement on the European tour of this week's <laughs> Shot Clock Masters utilizing a shot clock in Austria? Uh, this is pretty wild and crazy, Steve. I love it. I absolutely love it. And I think you're going to find a lot of tour players love it. Look, I just got back from a U.S. Women's Open where, and I don't want to pick on the amateurs, but the amateurs in this field were painfully slow. I mean, it, to the point where you were having you were having veteran tour players who were coming up to them after the round and saying, look, you just got to speed up. I mean, you, you really just can't do this. Um, and and until, we, until, until something like this goes into effect, where everybody knows on the front end, you got 40 seconds, and if you don't hit it, you're getting a penalty on the spot. Um, I don't think the game's ever going to speed up. But, you know, look, 40 seconds is an eternity. You know, unless you're standing there trying to trying to figure out what a tornado is doing, <laughs> not, being a, not being able to make a decision in 40 seconds is, is uh, you know, that's a disorder. you got to pull the trigger. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's going to be very interesting. Yeah, I, it's an effort, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and I guess the, each player can call for a time extension up to twice <laughs> In the round. So I guess if they've got a really tough putt, uh, especially the way you see some of these guys pulling out their books and their, you know, uh, <laughs> calculators, this uh, maybe will speed things up, especially on the greens, because that drives me nuts. And Johnny yeah. Miller, too. Well, Get up and pr- hit it. It is a problem. I mean, I, I remember a tour player's wife saying the first thing she did every January 1 was put twenty grand aside for the slow play fines. And I mean, they're just used to it. I mean, it's you know, it's like you know the speeding traps there, and you're going to get through it, and you're not going to get penalized. Yeah, I mean, just just go ahead, and if you if you know you're on the clock, there's that added element of embarrassment. You know, if if that horn goes off and you you know you you're you're uh, you're cold as a slow player on the spot, uh, it's not like the television camera can go away from you. It's out there for everybody to see. So I think, you know, like you say, if a tour player's wife is putting money aside knowing the fine is coming, then the fine is meaningless. you got to right. do something that, that, uh, that will get their attention, and embarrassment will do it. Well, we've just got one minute. I know you've covered some of the, you know, best courses and the majors, you know, in your career. Just want to get your quick thoughts on Shinnecock and uh, who, you're, who you're keeping your eye on. I'm not keeping my eye on anybody because the straightest driver of the golf ball will win there because the rough is – you, you know, you can lose a small dog in there. If you're, <laughs> yeah. off, if you're if you're a foot off the fairway, you can definitely lose a golf ball in there. So it's uh, it's whoever's going to find those uh, those fairways is going to be the you know the guy to, guy that walks away with it. As right. a U.S. Open should be right. Absolutely, that's what why we play it. It's going to be fun. Well, as always, Steve Eubanks, thanks so much for your time. Check out all his coverage, great stories on globalgolfpost.com. Always appreciate. Your time, friend. Thank you. Thanks, Holly. So, Babs? Um, I made it. You made it. Amazing. Who are you? Who's, who's looking at your crystal ball? Shinnecock. It's funny. You know, we were talking earlier. I, I look at the top ten in Tiger, probably. Maybe Tiger and Phil. And I always like to see who's in form. And, and a lot of these top ten players are in pretty good form. I I kind of like Dustin Johnson and Justin Rose. Kind of are... are in my hazy crystal ball right now, but just in some good form. Uh, they've played plenty of U.S. Opens. They've won U.S. Opens. They know that it takes patience to win U.S. Opens, and and I think it. Uh, this is just one of those tournaments where a little seasoning goes a long way. 
Well, we know one thing they don't want to do is whoever is in the field at the St. Jude Classic does not want to win because <laughs> that person does not go on That's to win true. the U.S. Open. I'm I'm kind of going for Brooks Kepka. I like that. When would when would be the last time a back to back U.S. Open winner? I know who it was. So do I. Curtis. Curtis. First he in Rochester. He made a pretty good run at the third one. It, it, in the country Hill, club, Brooklyn. And the country club, you're you're that's neck right, of the woods. That's right. So uh, I think that's a good pick. And um, mm, all right, we just got thirty seconds. Who would be your dark horse? Oh boy, that's a, that's so hard. That's so hard. Uh, I'm going for Kucher. I like that pick. I like to see Matt. Paul Casey might be my dark horse. Ooh, that's a good one. A good one ball as well. striker and. Has a little uh, seasoning on his side. Well, it is going to be a fantastic week up at Shinnecock Hills in beautiful Long Island. The Hamptons. Pricey. I'll be taking a few extra hundreds with me, Babs. (laughs) We love you, the Golf Insiders. We've got a tea time. we got to go. We'll be back next week.